Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here today. Please find your way in God's precious word, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I have to warn all of you, uh, you're going to be able to get into how my squirrely mind, if you know what I'm talking about, is, is, is I've studied this text and I've sat there and and, I, and you know how my mind works, I'm going, well, well why this, why this, or, or that's a picture of this, and that's a picture of that, and, and I'm trying to put all this together and trying to contain it, so if this doesn't flow exactly right, welcome to my world. <laughs> Amazing letter we have here, and as we study this letter, we have to keep in mind what Philip said in chapter one. Philip said to Nathaniel. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God. We have found him, he says. This is the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. This is the guy. This is the one that the scriptures told us about. That was actually a challenge given to Philip. And it's a challenge for anyone who hears these words today. And the challenge is, Search the scriptures and see if Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, is the promised one. We have a lot to search out. We have a lot of questions that need to be answered. We need to know, is Jesus the one who became flesh and dwelt among us? Is Jesus Christ God who took on humanity? Is he the infinite one who became finite? We all have to ask ourselves and search the word of God to see if Jesus is the eternal who was conformed to time. The invisible one who became visible. The supernatural one who reduced reduced himself to the natural. Is Jesus Christ God in human flesh? Is Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Savior who God promised to send? You've heard me say this before. We must know the truth about Jesus and who he is because it's a matter of life and death. We are challenged by the word of God to seek out, to investigate, to make an educated conclusion about Jesus and who he is. And it begins by asking ourselves what Philip proclaimed. Is Jesus of Nazareth, who is the son of Joseph, Is he the one who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote about? Is he the one? Listen, God doesn't expect us to have blind faith, right? We're called to investigate. He's calling us to investigate. And if we follow that evidence and truly seek, the end result will be faith. It will be faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We will believe in him. Remember the words that John wrote near the end of this letter. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Investigate, John says, so that you can know that you know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Amen. Notice this. John, John uses the word signs in his gospel. He, he doesn't say miracles. He says signs. Why, why does he do that? Because, because the signs point to something to come, something to come. So as we study these miracles or as we study these signs, we see that they are 
are actually that they are actually pointing to the Messiah and the kingdom of God. The signs confirm our faith. We don't have blind faith. Amen. So let's begin our investigation today. Let's study a sign in John chapter five, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is now, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these laid a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had heard that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn. As, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, this passage can be divided into two parts. We have the miracle performed and the master persecuted. And so we're going to begin by looking at the sign performed. You know, what a, what a story we have here. This, this passage is, is kind of, if you just look at it on the surface, it's a pathetic passage. You know, we have this great multitude of invalids who, who are in need of healing a sad situation, but as you see, as we go through this text, you'll see there is hope and there is resurrection and there is life in Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. So there are always, there is always good news in these very sad situations. You know, all these, these people that are there, they're all outside, as the word says, they're at the sheep gate. You know, that's a pool and it has five uh, roof colonnades around it, John says. Now know this, for many years, the, the scholars claimed that this pool did not exist. They said that there was no evidence of its, of its existence and, you know, that this was a made-up story. This was just a, one of those added stories here in the scriptures. But an excavation that started around 1876 start, uh, uncovered this pool, and you could go there now. It's in the current Muslim quarter of the city, and it's no longer called the Sheep Gate. It's now called the Lion's Gate. Think about that one for a while. But in this dig, they have uncovered, guess what, five covered colonnades confirming the accuracy of the description given here in john's gospel so i want you to know this there has never been any archaeological dig that has ever discredited the words in the bible hasn't been they all have proven that what is written in the bible is in fact true so as you read the word know that you're not dealing with just myths and fables the word is full of verifiable data remember the christmas message 
We look at the verifiable natural evidence. And as we look at the supernatural, and then we look at the supernatural evidence when it came to the birth of Christ. Well, we do the same thing here, natural and supernatural. The verifiable evidence actually confirms the supernatural. We have a man who cannot walk. Everyone knows of this. That's natural, verifiable evidence. The man now can walk. That's a supernatural event. How he came to walk? Supernatural. The verifiable evidence confirms the supernatural. So Jesus is in town. The word says for one of the feasts of the Jews, and it doesn't say which feast it is. And I looked up, I did, I did a lot of research here. There's a lot of speculation. They're really not sure which one of the feasts it, it was. So instead of speculating, we're going to go with the one that the word says it is. It was a feast of the Jews. And because it was a feast of the Jews, Jesus being true to the word goes up to Jerusalem. He goes up to Jerusalem. Have you ever noticed that? No matter what way you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up. Always going up. And the reason being is that this... This city sets about 2,500 feet above sea level. It's a city on a hill. You ever heard that? The area around the city is about 1,000 foot below it. So everyone is always going up to Jerusalem. And if you remember, as we read through the Psalms, Psalms 120 through 134 is labeled as what? Songs of Ascent. These Psalms were sung by worshipers walking up the road of Jerusalem for the three great feasts that the Jews celebrated. Everyone goes up to Jerusalem. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and he enters, let's say, through the not so popular way. Entering the temple through the sheep's gate is, is not the way that the, the high society people would go. There's no red carpet on this side of the temple. There, there's no cameras, no VIPs found over there. As a matter of fact, people avoided this area. Nobody wanted to walk past all these hopeless people. These people were out, were the outcasts of, of society. Nobody wanted to interact with these invalids. But praise be to God, our Savior is not like sinful man. Because this is where we find our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus. You know, such a beautiful picture of how the love of God is for everyone. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter who you are. God has love for you. Look at the paths that Jesus has taken here in John as he interacts with humanity. One day, Jesus is meeting with the teacher of Israel. And right after that, he's with the Samaritan woman at the well, an outcast of society. Someone he should have never talked to by man's standard. One day, he's talking to the official in need a nobleman, and here he is with the rejects of society. Jesus Christ is for all of mankind. He did not give his life only for the rich and the educated. No, he gave his life for all who would believe. He did not come to save only the pretty and the healthy. No, he came to seek and save the lost, the lost, no matter who you are. So, so never have that thought that Jesus could not love someone like me or that Jesus did not come to save me. He came to save anyone who would put their trust in him, in him, who would trust that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There are many people out there who believe that, that God came, 
came for those people and not me. You know, that's the way I thought before I, for Jesus saved me. And, you know, I thought he was for them, not me. I didn't know. So if you're thinking that way today, if you're thinking that, then, you know, then if that's the way you're thinking that today would be a great day to get your thinker fixed. That, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm here to tell you that Christ came for you, no matter who you are. And he gave his life for you. You are loved. Amen. I know that this is a social media driven society. So I want to say to anyone who is on social media, especially the young ones, do not, do not base your value on how many likes you get. Do not base your worth in this world on how many comments you get on your Facebook page. What happens on social media has nothing to do with how much you are loved by God. We worry so much wondering, oh, does the world love me? What do they think about me? Let me tell you, it's all vanity, vanity, vanity. It's all just dust in the wind. Instead, we should be focused on how much Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us so much that he laid down his life for us. Jesus loves us so much that while we were undeserving, while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, he came and died for us. So that we can become a child of God, a friend of God. So that we can know that we know that we are in the kingdom of God. So if anyone is looking for love from this world to make it through the day, I'm here to tell you that you're looking for love and all the. <laughs> and that type of love will fail you. It will fail you every time. It will keep you in a cycle of despair. So instead of looking for love in this world, look at the love of Jesus to get you through the day. He will never fail you. Life's hard. It's a grind. And the only way to have joy in this world is to know who you are in Christ. No matter who you are, their love is available to you. Amen? One more point before we move on from this. Know this. When Jesus looks down on humanity, he sees souls, not status. You know that? Romans 2.11, for God shows no partiality when it comes to mankind. You know, that is, God does not just give love to a certain part of society. Acts 10, 34, Peter says this, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is accept acceptable to him. Partiality means showing favoritism. God does not do that when it comes to the gospel. Salvation is for whosoever will believe, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, not just America. No. For God so loved the world, the word says. We're all valuable in the eyes of God. We have a purpose in, in the plans of God. And we should rejoice and rest in knowing that God loves us. Even though we don't get our likes on social media, we are still loved by God. Amen. So when Jesus walked this earth, as we can see, he touched every part of humanity from the high class to the low class, from the educated to the uneducated. And so here he comes into Jerusalem and he comes to the sheep gate. Now, it's called the sheep gate because this is a gate at the temple where they drove in the lambs to be examined for sacrifice. 
The sacrifices for worship were brought through this very gate. Each sheep would undergo scrutiny before it was accepted as a sacrifice. And outside of this gate, there were these pools of water. Now, the ESV translation that I just read, it does not have an additional text that other translations have uh, about this water outside the sheep gate. So I'm going to read them to you, and I'm going to explain it. This, this is added at the end of verse 3 and verse 4, and it says this. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down to at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, it's very doubtful that this portion was written by John, since it's not found in the earliest uh, manuscripts. Okay, And when it does occur in later manuscripts, it, it's often marked with the, with the, in a way to show that this is an addition. And it's believed that this passage was probably added later by the scribes who felt it necessary to provide an explanation for the gathering of the disabled people and the stirring of the water that's mentioned in verse 7. Remember what was said in verse 7, uh, that the, the invalid guy says, uh, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. So they're trying to explain what's going on here so they can make sense of it. Now, it's unclear whether an angel actually disturbed the water or if this was just a local superstition used to explain the natural movement in a pool of water fed by a spring. But somehow the waters were stirred and seemed to have a curative power. Something was, was going on there. And, you know, there's my mind. If not, why would all these people be hanging out there for many, many years? I mean, something's going on. They're hoping for a cure, right? Now, now, someone may be saying, man, that's, that's ridiculous. People believing in healing waters. The Bible's so full of foolish stories. So I did a modern day search with my truthful Google app. And, and I searched for healing waters in North Carolina. Lo and behold. Relaxed by a true fountain of youth at the cabins at Healing Springs, a tranquil getaway in North Carolina. What if you could discover the fountain of youth? While many think it's just a fairy tale fiction, some believe certain waters carry healing properties greater than your average glass of H2O. While you may not be, quote, forever young, this one bubbling spring in North Carolina promises you'll at least be forever healthy. At the cabins at Healing Springs, all you have to do is pump your own elixir to benefit from the magic of this mysterious spring. Here, the fountain of youth is more than just a saying. For years, people have traveled to this small North Carolina town of Crumpler for water deemed to be, quote, best tonic by folklore and said to have healing powers. From poison ivy and indigestion to more serious issues, it seems there was something special about the fresh mountain water pulsing from the ground. Between 1889 and 1899, the water from here was shipped across the U.S. by Captain B. Thompson. Locals knew of its magic and carried it in large bins. Visitors arrived and eventually built a resort. If you decide I'm to here. stay overnight, you won't have to worry about pumping your own magic water. In each cabin, pitchers are placed on the bedside table, filled to the brim. The website says of the water that the Natural spring known here as Healing Springs purported to have healing abilities 
and rumored to have cured everything from poison ivy to rheumatism, indigestion to ulcers. Local tradition has held steadfast that over a hundred years that these waters have curative powers. Wait. So I read the comments. <laughs> There's more healing waters in North Carolina than just this one. I wrote down addresses if anybody needs them. <laughs> so did the waters back then have some kind of healing powers? I don't know. You know I don't know. Do we have a fountain of youth in North Carolina? You be the judge. That was one of those squirrel moments. I'm sorry. Now Jesus goes up to one man, verse five. He goes up to one man. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Think about this picture. The, the great physician walks in uh, around this crowd of sufferers. Think about all the people laying around. You know, you can kind of imagine a little bit if you go into the emergency room and see all those sick people, right? But, but multiply that by a thousand and maybe half as sterile, you know? This place is full of sick, helpless, hopeless people. And if you can get that picture in your mind, you have a picture of the state of sinful man. Without Christ, sinful man is helpless, blind, lame, and hopeless when it comes to the things of God or the kingdom of God. Humanity needs the cure that Jesus is offering. Amen. And so at this pool, what does Jesus do? He goes to the worst of the worst. He talks to, the, to one of the most helpless of the sufferers. This guy, he can't even get himself to the pool. He's alone, he says. He says, I have no one. But Jesus knows him. In his omniscience, he knows this man's condition. Jesus knew and considered how long he may have been in this condition. And, I, and as I read this text, it brought me so much comfort. And it should you too. As I was studying, looking out the window, no squirrels this time. It was just leaves blowing by. And I was looking at the leaves blowing by, and I started meditating on this thought. Not only does God know our suffering, but he knows how long. He knows how long. He knows when it began, and he knows when it will end. The word says he knows our frame. So as we go through trials and tribulations in life, we cry out to him like the souls under the altar in heaven. We say, how long, O oh Lord, how long? We do that, but as we do that, we should take comfort in knowing that the one who is control knows exactly how long. He knows right down to the very second. And as we go through whatever it is, we should have comfort because he will be with us through it all, amen? He knows every one of our conditions. He knows. And you know, I know our suffering doesn't compare to this guy here and whatever, you know, and what he's going through, but whatever we're going through, God knows. He knows how long, man. That gives me hope in any situation. And it should give you hope also. And it should bring us to praise every time. You know, whatever we're going through, oh, what a precious Savior we have. 
Oh, how precious he is. So Jesus goes to one man, one man. When he saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there for a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? The new King James says it this way. Do you want to be made well? It, it actually means, do you want to be made whole? When Jesus asked, do you want to be, be made whole? What, do you, what, do you, whole? what he is saying is, do you want to have your whole life put back together so that you could love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do you want to be made whole, he says. That's the meaning of when he says you want to be healed. Do you want to be made whole? Think about this. There's this large group of influence. Do you know what influence means? Invalid, unsupported, null and void, outcasts of society. And Jesus is asking the invalid. Would you like to be made valid? Would you like to be made whole? Is that not what Jesus does? Is that not the business that Jesus is in? Is this not a graphic illustration of the plight of man? We are all invalid until Christ makes us valid. He heals us. He makes us whole. That's what Jesus does. And that's what he's doing at that pool that day. He asked that one man, that one man, that one invalid man, do you want to be healed? Squirrel. Why just this guy? You know? Why just that guy? Why not all of them? Everyone was in need. Why not make all these helpless, hopeless people whole again? Did, did anyone else... There, here, what Jesus said to this one man. I'm thinking there's a guy over there going, yeah, I do. You know, it didn't happen. It didn't. Jesus spoke to one man. Jesus went to one man out of all of these hopeless, helpless people. And then I thought to myself, I was like, is this not the great mystery of his grace? Is this not the great mystery of his love? Is this not the great mystery of salvation? As we look at ourselves when it comes to salvation, instead of boasting, hey, I'm one of the elect. No, instead we should be saying, why me? Why me? I'm unworthy. Why me? Why did you love me, Jesus? Why are you talking just to me? We know why Pastor Ryan, but not why Jim. Think about that. Why, Chris? Why me? I know what a wretched person I am without Christ. Why me? We're, we all are, are to be asking that question of Jesus. Why, Matt? Why did God pour out his love on you? You know what? Or maybe somebody's here today who is asking, why am I here? Why does God have me here hearing this message of, message of God's love, a message of salvation? Why am I here and not that person who just rode down the street? Why me, oh Lord? Why me? And if you are one of those who have not yet put your trust in Christ, then I have a question for you. Are you listening to God? Are you listening are you hearing his words? 
He has you here for a reason. He is calling you out by the proclaiming of his word. Don't be like the official that we learned about last week. You remember that guy? You know, he's only given Jesus like a half an ear. He went to Jesus and asked him to come down and heal his son. He's at the point of death. So Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not be deceived. What was his response? Sir, come on down and heal my kid. He, he, you know, Jesus is talking about believing. And he's like, please heal my son. He wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to the words of God. If you're here fix your problem, understand that that's that not believing is your biggest problem you have. Don't be like the invalid man here in our text today. Do you want to be made whole? What was his response? Sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going up another step, someone else gets, gets in there. You know, it's like, I don't think you heard what Jesus said. That was a yes or no question. This poor guy can only think about the pool and someone to help him in instead of hearing the question that, that Jesus answered. You think that the man would have responded with enthusiasm? Yeah, I want to be healed. What do you think I like this? No, no, don't heal me. I'm good right here in my dirty mat. No response. But instead, he starts giving excuses. He's been in that sad condition for so long, his mind was as paralyzed as his body was. He did not comprehend the depth of the question, nor did he understand who asked it. He wasn't listening. He didn't give an ear. Jesus is saying to this man, the healing you need is not at that water. It's not there. The only way you're going to get the healing you need is put your face on me and do as I say. So how did Jesus respond to him? Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Get up. No touch. No help. He didn't get into the stirring water. Nothing. It was just the spoken word of God that healed this man, just like he did with the nobleman's son. Get up, Jesus says. He told the man to do what everyone, especially that man, knew what was impossible. And he did. He got up. Incredible. In sovereign grace, the Savior spoke the life-giving words, and the man was immediately and perfectively healed. Verse 9 says, at once he was healed. No rehab, no time for recovery of the muscles that had been used, that hadn't been used in 38 years. Get up, God says, and it happened. Know this, you know, the Savior never tells anyone to do anything without giving them the power to do it. God tells us to live a life worthy of the calling. And we're like, yeah, I don't know if I could do that. That's pretty hard. Jesus says to love like I have loved. And I was like, I'm trying. Jesus says to forgive. And we say impossible. In our own strength, that is true. We cannot do anything in our own strength. But anytime God tells us to do anything, we should rejoice because we know that if God is telling us to love, 
He has first given us love and then the power to love. If God is telling us to forgive, he has first forgiven us and he gives us the power to forgive. If he gives us the power, he gives us the power to walk worthy of the calling and through his power, we can do it. Amen. He can do it. If he tells us to get up, we get up, take up our beds and we walk. We can do it through the power of Christ. We should rejoice as we do what God has told us to do because we know that God will give us the power to do it. We can be obedient. We have the power. The invalid man was just was obedient, wasn't he? There was immediate obedience to the word of the Lord. He took up his bed and he walked. Squirrel, I'm wondering what that walk looked like. You know, what, what kind of steps do you take after being set free from a 38-year sickness? Do you run? Moonwalk? Skip? Dance? What, what do you do? Don't tell us. It's one of the questions I've got when I'm going to have when I get to heaven. What did that guy do? I, I don't know how, how he walked away, but whatever his walk was, it was a new one. It's a new walk. He picked up his mat and walked. Now I'm thinking about this mat. Why pick up the mat? He doesn't need it anymore. Right? He can walk. He doesn't need that mat. Why did Jesus tell him to pick up this dirty, nasty mat and take it with him? What's going on? Doesn't need it. Think about this. When people see this man walking with his mat, they will know that his past pain is actually a platform for the glory of God. You see that? How are you able to walk, they'll ask. Are you not the guy who's laid on that mat for years? And he'll say, Jesus healed me. God got the glory. Guess what? God's still getting the glory today on January the 30th, 2022. God still gets the glory from that dirty, nasty man. So this guy picks up his nasty man and he walks to the temple. Why would he do that? Think about it for a minute. He's got this. It's got to be stinky. Why would he walk so proudly, so boldly with this man? Listen, he's not ashamed of it. How's that? Because Jesus is not ashamed of him. How is that possible? Here's your answer. His mat no longer defines who he is. Our mat, our past pain does not define who we are in Christ. We all have a mat. Some are dirtier than others. But none of those mats define who we are. Our past does not tell we tell us who we are, nor does it dictate who we are going to be. Our, our identity is now in Christ Jesus. Amen? Not that mat. That dirty mat that we have is a platform for God to declare his message of love and forgiveness. And let me just say this. I know this ain't confession time, but you don't want to get close to my mat. It's filthy. It stinks. But I'm not ashamed 
because it was God Almighty who picked me up off, off of that mat and set me free. He made me a child of God. He made me a friend of Jesus. He made me whole again. So anytime enemy, the enemy tries to steal our joy or points out our future mat that we have with us, just point him to the cross. When we hear lies about how we're not worthy, point them to the cross. Amen. We are worthy. Listen, that matters for the glory of God. And, and know this. It's not for us to go lay back down on. Okay. We don't want to go there. We're done with that. And this is where the church body comes together. So if a brother or sister in Christ stumbles and this thing falls back on their back. Here's, here's what we as a church body is to do. We gather around him and we kick him till he gets back off that mat. Just kick him off there. Get, you don't belong there. We tell him how bad he is. No, that's not what we do. We don't kick him back up on the altar. Here's what we do. We surround them with prayer. And helping hands, right? Hey, brother, you don't need that mad anymore. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. God loves you. We love you. Here's what we do to someone who has fallen on their mat. We share a salad with you, right? Let us minister to you. Let us love you. Let us help you stand up and walk worthy of the calling. We are here with you. All for the glory of God. That man is just a platform to proclaim the love of God. To proclaim the power of God. It points to reconciliation. It is a beautiful picture of salvation. Amen. Get up, take your mat, and walk unashamed, unashamed. You know, a great lesson we can take away from that statement is this, man. When we are saved, we are not only told to rise, but we also are told to walk. The Lord Jesus gives us healing from the plague of sin, and then he expects us to walk in a manner worthy of him. Amen? Amen. So because of time, we're not going to get to the master's persecution. We'll get that next week. Probably look at this guy a little bit longer. You don't know how I am. But, but as we've looked over the sign performed, we can clearly see that it, it points to the Savior. We can clearly see that it points to the healing power of Jesus. We can clearly see that it points to the salvation that is available to all who would believe. And as we've looked at this in invalid man, we can see that it's, you know, it's not so many questions I had. It's like, it's hard to understand this relationship between this man and Jesus. You know, he, there's no evidence that he actually believed on Christ and was converted. It doesn't really say yet. We cannot say that he, he was opposed to the savior. We do know he went to the temple. No doubt this man went there to give thanks to God and to offer the appropriate sacrifices. I guess he was kind of like Nicodemus. He, he knew that what had happened to him could only have been done by God. The natural, verifiable evidence proved the supernatural event. 
kick and now walk. I'm going to close with Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7. You'll turn over there if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were natural children of wrath, and by nature children of wrath, like the rest of the mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show that the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. He picks us up off of that dirty mat and he makes us whole. All of humanity is helpless and powerless and in need of healing. And Jesus Christ is the cure. He is the one who can make you whole. Amen. That's good.